How many of you believe in New Year's resolutions? If you believe in setting New Year's resolutions, raise your hand. Two people. All right. Three. All right. I'm, an, I'm a firm believer. that. How many of you guys refuse to do that? You absolutely refuse because you've done it and it, it always blows up in your face. All right. Well, if that's the case, um, I feel sorry for you. Um, I, I absolutely believe in setting goals. I am a firm believer of New Year's resolutions. I love them and uh, I don't always meet them. Uh, I don't always accomplish my goals, but I do think you should set goals, um, especially as it relates to spiritual goals as well. Uh, every one of us should be at least setting some form of spiritual goal in your life this coming year in 2016. Um, it's a great opportunity. Now, this is the cool part. How many of you all believe that God has goals for you in 2016? Raise your hand. Okay, so why is it a problem to set New Year's resolutions when God's got goals for you? All right, so don't be ashamed. Be excited about that. So encourage you, set some, some New, Year, New Year resolutions, do some goals in your life for 2016. God does have plans for you, and I want to show you that God's plans for you in 2016 are more than likely going to blow your mind. Um, they're larger than life goals. They're miraculous goals. That's what God has intended for you in the coming year. And so I want to kind of walk you through this. How you are able to um, experience those goals is going to be contingent upon how you answer one question. And that's the question we're going to talk about this morning in our passage in John 21. Uh, it's this question of, do you love Jesus more? That's the question that I want you to ask yourself throughout this, this Bible study time. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about what that means. And I have a little whiteboard on, up behind me. And I wanted to get a, something to sit down. I, I am, how many of you guys know how, that I am a dumb person? Don't, don't say amen. Um, but I do dumb things. Uh, I have, I'm in transition, you guys know. I'm packing a lot of books up right now. And don't ever buy or don't ever get a big box and pack books in a big box. Not smart. Um, I was packing books in this big box. And you know what I did, don't you? I hurt my back. I lifted the box and hurt my back going down the steps. I just dropped the books. I said, no, I don't care. Just help me, God. Help my back. So anyway, so if, if I kind of look like a hunchback this morning, that's why um, I hurt my back. So I was hoping to get a, something I could sit on. But this is a whiteboard, and I'm going to be drawing for you. How many of you guys know that I'm an artist? Raise your hand. No? Okay, that's my, that's my best shot at drawing a heart for you uh, this morning because I love you. That's why I did that. I want you to know that. No, we're going to talk about this holy affection has everything to do with how much you love Jesus. Um, and Jesus is asking Peter this question uh, in this passage of Scripture. And just in case you were not here last week, um, Pastor Tony just finished a series entitled Embracing the Journey. He was kind of explaining last Sunday in particular that we need to face our regrets. And he used the apostle Peter to explain what that means. Talked about facing our regrets. Peter, as you may know, made a blunder of mistakes as he was following Jesus. And he boldly claimed to, uh, proclaimed to Jesus, I will never leave you. I don't care if all the rest of these disciples leave you. I promise you, Jesus, I will never leave you. And that same night, he leaves Jesus behind. He deserts Jesus and, and abandons him and, and, and completely turns his back on everything that he believed in. And, uh, and after that, um, God says, I'm not done with you yet. And that's the cool part about this passage of scripture I'm taking you to is I want you to see that God's got a plan. So um, let's begin reading in verse 15. We're kind of brought into a very personal, private conversation with the apostle Peter. And I love how we can actually listen in to what Jesus is telling Peter as he pulls him aside and has this one-on-one -on -one conversation with him. In verse 15, he says, So when, when they, after they dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? There's your question. I want you to underline that. and You have that, a pen or a highlighter in your Bible. Do you love me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. 
He said unto him, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. Verse 16. And he said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, feed my sheep. And he said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? But you know what I think in this, the reason why he, he was grieved, obviously Jesus denied, or I'm sorry, Peter denied Jesus three times. And here Jesus is the same thing to him, drilling into him the idea that you really love me. And he's emphasizing it to him because this is a big deal. Before you can ever expect God to do great things in your life in 2016, it is critically important that you settle this issue of where your heart truly lies. Do you love Jesus more than these is the question. All right, so he continues. And he says, okay, all right. Listen to how emphatic he gets here. Peter being extremely greedy at this point, he says, love us, I mean, he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, good, then feed my sheep. For verily, verily, I say unto you, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, or you dressed yourself, and, when thou, and you walked whithersoever you would. But when, you, when you're, when you're going to be old, you will, you will stretch forth your hands, and another will gird you, another person is going to dress you, and will carry you where you do not want to go. In verse 19, he said, spake unto these things, signifying what, what the death should be, of what he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Simon, follow me. It's very important you get that. So, with that in mind, I want, we obviously understand that Jesus is asking him the same question three times, do you love me? And the reason why is because he's trying to get him to understand the reason you forsook me is because you didn't have this issue nailed down. Now, think about in your personal life, the 2015, you had, maybe some of you guys have had some regrets. Maybe there's some things you're not proud of that happened in 2015. Some mistakes you made. Some, some decisions that were made on your hand that were not smart. That you know that you drifted from Christ because of those things. Mark my words when I tell you that the reason why they happened is because there was something going on in your heart. It was because you did not love Jesus more than these. So this idea of having a holy affection, here's what I want to encourage you with. This is my, my main thrust. I want you to understand that we must have a holy affection. Two things I need to emphasize. One, what in the world does it mean to have a holy affection? How many of you guys have ever heard that before? A holy affection. How is it normally spelled? With a W. Holy, meaning entire. You've got to have an entire, complete, holistic affection for Jesus. That's not what I'm telling you here. I'm using holy as an adverb. Nobody does that. Nobody talks like this. Have a holy affection for Jesus. So I need to explain to you, number one, what does it mean by a holy affection? Because that's what Jesus is saying here. And number two, why should you? Why is it such a big deal that you have a holy affection for Jesus? So let's get into it. Number one, if you're taking notes, what does it mean to have a holy affection for Jesus? It's simple. What does the word holy mean? Give me some definitions. I know we're in the sanctuary, so you're going to have to speak up a little bit. What does holy mean? What does it mean? I heard pure. What else? Come on, come on. This is, a, this is a Sunday school class. It's a big one, but we're a Sunday school class. So help me out. What does it mean to be holy? I heard somebody say something. Everything. E- everything. Okay. Set apart. Good. Anybody else want to add to that? You can raise your hand. I mean, that's okay. 
All right, set apart. How many of you guys would say, amen, I agree, set apart is what it means? Raise your hand. Okay, all right, well, listen to this. It's a little bit more than just set apart. That's good. That's half of the definition, but it also means set apart for the glory of God. That's what holy means, to be set apart, sanctified, separated for the outpouring of the Shekinah glory of God. Think about what they did in the Old Testament when they had the, the temple and the tabernacle. They would separate utensils and, and different instruments for the glory of God. It was so that God could pour his glory out in the building. So when I tell you, and I'm trying to illustrate this with the scriptures, that Jesus is drilling into his heart. And saying, you've got to have a holy affection, a holy love for me. What he's saying is, Peter, you need to separate your heart. You need to set aside your passion, your, your, your drive, your goals. Everything about your heart needs to be set apart for me to pour my glory into. And when that happens, great things are going to happen in your life. And that's the whole point of today's Bible study. I need you to understand You have to have a holy affection for Jesus, a holy love for Jesus, if you believe the miracles are going to happen in 2016. They're going to come. They've already been written. God has big plans for you in 2016, but it will never happen if this issue of your heart, if God is not the true affection of your heart. So now the question then becomes, how do we do that? How do we have Jesus or God become uh, our heart's desire, our true passion, so that we can experience miracles. All right, so here's where we're going to go. Number one, I would say, you notice the verse 15, he uses this phrase, do you love me more than these things? Now, he just says more than these. It's left up to our imagination. How many of you guys have really awesome imaginations? Raise your hand. You just have like an incredible, you read the Bible and you're like in the Bible. I mean, you're there. You're walking with Peter as he's, he's, you know, cutting people's ears off and stuff. I mean, you're there. You see the, never mind, don't, the ear fall to the ground. Anyway, so, I mean, if you have an imagination, this is when it's going to come in handy for you because Jesus is kind of um, uncertain. We're not really sure what he's talking about when he asks Peter, do you love me more than these? All we know is that Jesus kind of puts his arm around Peter and says, I know, I know what happened. I know how you betrayed me. I know how you denounced me. I, was, I heard everything you said, and I was there. And you know what, though, Peter? Um, I, I want to ask you a question that's going to drill into your heart. I want to ask you, and this is cool because he has a very private conversation. He says, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? And now we know where he's at when he asks that question. He just got done eating with the disciples. He cooked a great... Um, Fish, uh, is, it, is there such thing as a, uh, how many of you guys have salmon? Anybody like salmon in here? All right, salmon on a plank. You ever had that? Or that's, that's some awesome stuff. You've never been to O'Charlie's, get that. Uh, it's worth it. I don't know how much it costs, probably too much. Anyway, so salmon on a, pl- on a plank. So they just got done eating a meal, a gourmet meal, fish by Jesus the chef. All right, that is really cool. All right, so Jesus cooked them a great meal. And so then afterwards, Jesus takes Peter aside and says, hey, G- Peter, do you love me more than these? And so my imagination is thinking, he's probably talking about two things. And to be honest with you, it doesn't matter what he's talking about. The ultimate question is, do you love Jesus more or greater than blank everything? Okay, it doesn't matter what that blank is, but I'm going to talk about two things that most of us struggle with in our lives. These two areas are constantly at war in our hearts. And let me ask you, if, if something is in our hearts, or we, we love something more than God in the center of our hearts, 
what is that typically called when that, there's something in here that's, that's, in the, our, that's consuming our affection that we love more than Jesus? What do we call that in the Bible? An idol. That's exactly what it's called. It's an idol. So here's the typical reality, and we know this all too well. Every single person in this room struggles with idols. You are all idolaters. I'm, I'm serious. You are, we, have broken, we have a broken heart. The bottom line is we constantly have this tension. We know that Jesus should be at the center of our hearts. That's not the problem. The problem is we have to protect our hearts. We have to guard our hearts from these idols. And so when Jesus puts his arm around Peter and says, do you love me more than these? He's talking about the idols in his heart. And I think he's talking about two things. Number one, do you love me more than these people? Peter just got done eating a great meal with some friends of his, some family, Andrew, his brother, had a great meal, uh, just celebrating. And these are friends of, of, of Peter. I mean, these people, he, think about this. He spent the last three or four years of his life with these guys. I mean, they, they grew exceptionally close, living together. I was watching the news last night, and I noticed that uh, Ohio State Buckeyes, how many of you guys like the Buckeyes? Say amen. All right, okay. Ohio State Buckeyes are losing a ton of their seniors this year. A lot of them are graduating and they're moving on. Some of them are going to pro. And I remember listening to uh, one of the guys as they were interviewing, and he was talking about how much he's going to miss those band of brothers. He said, man, I'm going to, he's just about, this is a big man. He's got muscles popping out of his ear. He's so big, okay? And he's, he's about crying in tears and he's saying, just gonna miss these brothers man we grew together and we 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 lived together and we just had a i can't help but think that that must be what peter was emotionally going through when this question was asked to to peter he had to feel that in his heart i i love these guys jesus i i love these people and some of us in here we struggle with that we love people sometimes more than we love jesus say, how do, you, how do you know if I love people more than I love Jesus? Do you always say yes to people and you say no to Jesus? Do you, do you say yes to things to help other people out so that instead of saying yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to them? That's a good indicator. Do you, do you, you get afraid of people? If, they t- if you tell them no, are you afraid of what they're going to do? You know what that's called? Idolatry. You're a people pleaser. That's just, that's the kind of the point. So Jesus is drilling into his heart. This is, he's saying, the reason why you forsook me, Peter, is not because you just woke up one day and said, I'm scared. The reason why you forsook me is because you loved yourself and you loved people more than you loved me. You are more concerned about your family. This is going to get hard. You're more concerned about the protection of your own self and the protection of your family than you were about me. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't protect your family, but I am saying that if you love Jesus more than you love your family, you'll love your family the way you want you to love them. So, with this point, going back here, I want to say this. When the important thing I want you to understand is God's got to be the center of your heart. And in this case, Peter, Peter was having to answer the question, do you love him more than you love people? Another idol, let me, I think it's worth saying this. Sometimes we struggle, if you're married, all right, if you're single, you struggle with this idea of loving people because you're convinced that if you get married, if you marry the right person or you date the right person, Finally, you're going to be happy. Finally, you're going to experience the greatest level of joy ever imaginable. That's hogwash. And I'm a married man. I love my wife. She's an incredible woman. But I cannot look to my wife to bring me the joy that she cannot bring me. She can't bring me the satisfaction, the deepest level of my soul joy 
like God created me to experience. That can only be filled by Jesus. Point, that's the point, period. Draw exclamation point. You can't get further than that. And some of you guys who are married, look to your wives or your husbands to be the one who will satisfy you and give you the fulfillment that you're wanting. What happens? You always wake up in the morning yelling at them. They're, they're, they're a lousy God. Husbands are lousy gods, amen? All right, wives are lousy gods. You know, children are, are terrible gods. They just, they, you can't look to th- those people to fulfill that need. And that's what I believe that he's trying to deal. He's, Do you love me more than you love these people? And I think the other thing when he's, it's just in my imagination, I'm just drilling into the text. He says, Simon, do you love me more than these? I think he's talking about things. Do you love me more than these things? I'm thinking in light of humanity, okay? We struggle with people. All right, we, we, we struggle with people. We struggle loving people more than we love Jesus. We say yes to people more than Jesus, in other words. So we struggle with loving things more than Jesus. I'm all about loving things, man. I, I love having, you know, cool stuff. I mean, I, I love being able to talk about, uh, having conversations with people about their iPhones and stuff, and they always come up with something new when you buy the, the newest one. So anyway, it, we all know how good it feels to buy something new. But... I, I think in, in Peter's case, he was in this situation, he was walking with Jesus and he puts his arm around and says, do you love me more than these things? He was probably looking out at the boat that he, would just, he just caught these fish in. He's probably looking out at the, 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 the food that he just ate. He's looking out at the, oh man, you can imagine Peter was probably in that day um, a regular shopper at Galilee's Bass Pro Shop. I mean, you can imagine that. He probably had the latest and greatest tackle boxes and, and the cool reflective bait that would capture the largemouth bass. I mean, he had it all, man. In his garage, he had this stack full of cool stuff. That's Peter. All right, you say, well, that's kind of imagined. I know, I have a great imagination. All right, so my point is, I think he's addressing the issue of things. And we all know how good it feels to buy something new. Isn't it true? It feels good. Like you, you buy a new TV or you buy a new watch or you buy a new car. And you're convinced that this is going to be awesome. Like it's going to make you feel happy. It's going to bring you a better version of you. But it never does. Okay, it does for like two weeks. And then it's like back to the old, oh, there's Joe again. You know, this is, it doesn't last. And it's because you're, you're putting those things and you're depending on those things to bring you joy, to bring you satisfaction, to, to, to fulfill your longing when they're only creations. They're not the creator. So it's important you understand, you've got to guard your heart. And then once you do this, and he drills and he says, and of course Simon's repetitive response here is, Lord, you know that I love you. This is not a, a, God, in fact, the very last time, he's very emphatic with it. And when you read it in Greek, it's, it's really overboard. He says this, Lord, you know all things about everything there is to know. You know that I love you. Why are you asking me this question? And so upon Peter's response, Jesus always made the statement, okay, good, you're right, Peter, I know that you love me. I know that you love me, but I want you to know this, that I got a plan for you. I got something in store for you that's going to be awesome, something great, something amazing. There's going to be miracles. Once you keep me and you've established this, when you make me the center affection of your heart, I will do wonders in your life. I will do miracles. But you know why most of us never experience miracles? This is going to hurt. The the reason why most of us never experience miracles is because Jesus is not the center of our hearts. Say, that's not fair. You can't say that. No, it's biblical. It's biblical. And I'm going to show you how the whole wheelhouse works. It's amazing how this whole thing works. 
In the Bible, as you study scripture from beginning to end, you look at the whole biblical narrative, you'll notice this constant theme appearing. Those who truly love Jesus experience great and mighty things. And it's not always good things. It's not always the make you feel good. Some of the stuff hurts, but it's great and mighty because God's glory, the Shekinah glory, is set upon that person where crazy things are happening. That's what I mean when I say holy love Jesus. If you want the miracles, you have to separate your heart. Your heart's affection has to be Jesus. You know that there's nothing and nobody in this world that can satisfy you like Jesus can. That's the question that he's answering. All right, so let's continue. Let me show you how it works. This is where it gets fun. Um, In verse 18, Jesus says, okay, all right, now that we've established that you understand that I have to be the center of your life and that you love me, and by the way, I do know that you love me, but here's, I got a plan for you. I want you to feed my sheep. And here's verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when you were young, you, you, you know, you dressed yourself and you walked wherever you wanted to go, but when you shall be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird you and carry you whither you don't want to go. And in verse 19, he explains that he's talking about he's going to be killed for following Jesus. You see, here's the reality. You're never going to love the work of Jesus. You're never going to love to experience the wonders of Jesus if you don't first love Jesus. Why would you, why would you want to live your life consecrated for the glory of God if you don't love him? Especially if it means You're going to have to go through some discouragement, some pain, and some anguish. Why would you do that? Because you don't love Jesus. Why would you want that? But for those of us who do want this, there's an opportunity for us to experience great and wonderful things. Now, here's the point I want to lead you to. This is is that wheelhouse I was talking about. Once you've established that God is the the, the main love of your life, he's the, the centerpiece, the first thing that God's going to do is he's going to give you opportunities, okay? Opportunities are going to come into your life. Great opportunities. Some things are going to be crazy, all right? Things are going to happen in your life that you just would have never anticipated. But that's exactly what happened in Peter's life. Okay, now that you love me, I've got something I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. That's the plan, all right? He's got, he's saying, now here's the cool thing. With every opportunity comes risk. And you know how true that is. Um, Risk comes. Now, you can either choose to respond. Like, think of Peter's situation. He, re- he was given a risk. Okay, you follow me. It's going to cost you your life, Peter. It's going to cost you something great. And by the way, you don't know how it's going to happen, and you don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to cost you your life. All he knew is it was going to happen when he's an old man, somehow. And there's no age bracket there. He just says he's going to happen when he's old. So here's what Peter has to do. He's either going to respond with fear. Okay, which, by the way, fear, where does fear take you? Inevitably, Think about the Israelites. When they saw that there were Canaanites in the land, that the, the, the giants in the land, the Anakins, what did they do? They got afraid. And how, what happened because they were afraid? What did they not do? They didn't go and experience the wonder of God. It was all laid out for them. All they had to do was just believe. All they had to do was take it. That's it. God was going to do it. But because they were fearful, it caused them to be at a standstill and at a dead end for the rest of their lives. Now, that doesn't have to be that way, but it all has to do with this. Fear always leads you to a dead end. Always. And, and you know, sadly, most of us, some of us right now, 
are right there. You're at that dead end. It's because you're afraid. All right? and, and by the way, your fear is legitimate. I, I understand that. We're human. Fear is a very legitimate emotion because you're thinking of, I don't want to lose this or I don't want to, I don't want to risk this. But if you're saying I and I and I, who's at the center of your heart? It's you. Let's get back to this. Because when, when Jesus is at the center of your heart, you haven't begun to even realize what God's got in store. Let's continue to press through, okay? All right, so let's say he doesn't respond with fear, but he responds with faith, okay? This is the other response you can have. Responding with faith always inevitably leads you to miracles, all right? And it always works this way. Now, here's the cool thing. Think about this passage of Scripture. We know that Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, is just around the corner in Acts chapter number 2. They already had a lot of followers of Jesus at that time. So when Jesus told Peter, I want you to feed my sheep, he had probably a couple thousand people that he was telling him, I need you to feed. I need you to protect. I need you to lead. And I want to use you, Peter, to have an impact in their lives. This is already a big calling. But then the day of Pentecost was even bigger than that. It was a miracle. Something miraculous was around the corner. And Peter, all you have to do is respond with faith. Believe me when I tell you that I'm not done with you yet. Believe me that I got something amazing happening for you in 2016. You believe that and you will respond with faith instead of fear. And faith will lead you to miracles. And miracles always lead you to more opportunities. You ever heard this? Jesus made it, he couldn't be more clear. Jesus says, if you simply have the faith the size of a mustard seed, I will move mountains. Here's in my personal life. Every time God moves a mountain, all I see is another mountain. Usually it's a bigger mountain. So here's what happens. God, God presents you an opportunity because he's the center of my heart. He'll present me an opportunity. Now I can respond with the, to this risk with fear or faith. If I respond with faith, it leads me to miracles. And when I see God move the mountain, there's another mountain there. Okay, God, what do I do now? And then I say, you know, I'll go through the whole process again. You use this diagram, and you, I challenge anybody in this room right now to look at this diagram, and you'll see that every person in Scripture, every narrative in all the Bible, you'll see that this is happening. You look at Moses, you see it in, in, in Joshua, you see it in David. Every person you see in Scripture, this is how it happens. It's the same wheelhouse. It's called the wheelhouse of faith. I just made it. I don't, I don't have a title for it. It's just the Bible, okay? So this is the scripture of how it all works out. And I'm just using Peter in this one scenario to explain it to you. But I, I want to show you one more cool thing, all right? How many of you guys like cool stories in the Bible? Raise your hand. Say amen. All right, I love cool stories. Open your Bible to 2 Samuel. I'm going to keep your place here because we're going to come back there in our worship hour. Um, I'm going to show you some other cool things about that passage that I didn't bring out today or this morning um, in the worship hour. But turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. This is awesome. There's a guy in the Bible that uh, we can see. It's really, there's only two verses mentioned about this, this guy um, in the Bible. His name is Beniah. And it's, it's uh, 2 Samuel 23 verses 20 and 21. These are the only two verses that we really get a good picture of who this guy is. But even in this small picture of this one man, we can see this diagram worked out perfectly. And it doesn't matter who the person is. You only may have two verses of scripture that describe the person, but yet this is the response. Now, this is about a guy who chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day. This is a cool story, all right? This is amazing. So what happens is, let me, let me go ahead and read you the, the verse, all right? 
this is, we're right in the middle of David's mighty men, okay, to kind of give you a bore of a picture of where we're at in the scriptures. The Bible is describing who these men are that David hired to be his protectors and his bodyguard. And one of these men is Benaiah. But notice how it describes him in verse 20. It says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel. Let me stop for a minute. Um, I want to say some things about this guy, Benaiah, before I even get too much further. I want you to circle their names. Circle Benaiah and circle Jehoiada. Now, when you look at their names, just their names in particular, um, I found that when you study this out in Hebrew, you, first of all, Jehoiada, who's, who's Benaiah's dad, his daddy, you don't say the name Jehoiada. You don't pronounce J's in the Hebrew language. It's, it's pronounced with a ya, like a yod. Um, yo. So, so this name is pronounced Yehoiada. When you break it out, his name means he knows God. That's what the, Jehoiada means, he knows God. That's his daddy, okay? So Benaiah's daddy knows God, all right? So now, now you have, Benaiah, by the way, he was a priest in the, in, the, in the southern tribe of Judah. He was actually the priest in that time. Then you have Benaiah. Benaiah's name means a son of God. So you have, you've got someone who knows God has raised a son of God. That's what it's saying here. This is the name of, of, this is the information of the name we're giving. So you got this guy who his name is, he knows God, and he raised a son who is a son of God, and now we continue, all right? By the way, in other words, he's got an incredible pedigree, all right? This guy was raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He knows how to keep Jesus or keep God at the center of his heart and how to protect his heart. That's the point I'm making. All right, continuing on in verse 20, and it says, Who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab, and he went down also into the, into, into slew, uh, and slew a lion in the midst of the pit of a snowy day. That's crazy, okay? And verse 21, And he slew an Egyptian, a godly man, or, sorry, a goodly man, an Egyptian who had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff, and he plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and he slew him with his own spear. This guy is amazing. This guy is a stud. He's a real-life superhero, all right? That's what this guy is. And it all ha- this is how it all... I want you to see the wheelhouse effect here, all right? So we understand who he is. By, by his pedigree, the Bible is very specific. It's telling us that he is a man, a son of God. He knows he was raised how to love God. Because he was raised on how to love God, God is the center of his heart. God presents him an opportunity. But the opportunity was scary, it was a lion. <laughs> he saw a lion. He locked eyes with a lion. Now, most of us, if we saw a lion, would duck tail and run if you didn't pee on yourself first. You're going to have a response. You're going to be scared. You're going to react to this lion, and you're going to run away. However, Benaiah did the opposite. The opposite happened. He didn't run from the lion. The lion ran from him. So here's, here's the cool thing. He responded with the, he saw the risk, and instead of responding with fear, he responded with faith. Now, I'm going to say this as, a, as an interjection. I am absolutely convinced some of you right now are facing lions. Some of you right now have lions in your lives, and I want you to understand, if you will simply keep Jesus at the center of your life, and you will be able to chase the lion instead of running and hiding from the lion, maybe you're facing a big problem. Something that you did not do, it just happened to you. Something you did not ask for, but it's making you miserable, and you're afraid. You don't know what to do. Hear me when I tell you, respond with faith. Don't be afraid, because when you're afraid, you'll never experience the miracle. Always. Miracles only happen when something impossible is in front of you. Do you understand that? 
So if you're asking God to do miracles, that means you're asking God, you're inviting God to send an impossible situation into your life. Do it. Because when you ask God those things, he does stuff like this, and maybe he'll send you a lion. Say, I don't want a lion. I don't want a lion. I don't want a bear. I don't want nothing. I just want to go home. Okay, well, here's the thing. If you, if you just go home, you never experience anything awesome, okay? So if God will send you a lion, respond to the lion with faith. And what happens when you respond to the lion with faith, you end up killing the lion. God gives you the victory over the lion. And then what happens is he does the miracle. And everybody else is standing around like, how did that just happen? How did you just endure that? How did you just make it through that impossible storm? And all you're like, I don't know. I just, I just trusted God. God did it. God did this miracle. I don't know how it happened. God did it. All I know is I believe God. I believe God. And, and, and this is important to know. The only way you're going to respond with that kind of faith is if Jesus really is the center of your heart. Because when he's the center of your heart, you're convinced that he's God. You, you, you are bold like a lion. You are stronger than your obstacle because you know that this risk, God's the one who guided the lion right into your living room. That's how it happened. It's not by chance or circumstance. God did it. And he's doing it because he wants to do a miracle in your life. That's why you have the problem that you have in your life. And I want you to respond this way so you can experience the miracle that God has in store for you. So this wheelhouse effect of faith, it's pretty simple. It's not complicated. Um, But I just want you to understand that God does have big plans for you. He's got big goals for you in 2016. And I want you to respond with faith instead of fear. Because when you do, you'll have great things happen.